What's up everyone and welcome to Simulation. I'm your host Alan Sakian. Very excited to be talking about the future of rap and nerd culture. We have Lex, a lexicon artist, joining us on the show today. Yay! Thank you for having me! Super excited. Very excited to be here. Yay! And huge shout out to Ron for finding you, uh, working with you in the past, and then recommending to get you on yeah, the show. Yeah, I was trying to think, um, how did we meet? Do you remember I was doing the thing at BFF.FM? I'm uh. trying to... <laughs> I don't remember. Somewhere on the internet. Oh, yeah. That's how everyone meets everyone yeah. nowadays. Yeah. And I then, think uh, we met on the internet, and then we met in person, and then you invited me on fried chicken, yeah. and then this happened. Yeah. So, so yeah, exactly. So Lex has been on fried chicken too, and now Lex is on simulation. I know. And those with that don't know yet, Lex's background, she is Lex a Lexicon artist, mm -hmm. Taiwanese American rapper, writer, and creator. And she writes songs about nerd culture, personal identity, and her experience as an Asian American human being. Nice. And you can find all the links in the bio below, thelexiconartist.com, as well as the Bandcamp, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, YouTube, and Twitter links. So go follow, go explore her work. All right. Let's start things off with one of our favorite questions to ask our guests. Let's do what it. are your thoughts on the direction of our world? Oh, uh well. It's certainly going to be an uphill battle from here on out. Uh, I think people are getting smarter. I think overall, uh, people are getting more educated. People are getting healthier. Um, and overall, I think the quality of human beings is probably increasing. I think there, there's some studies that can attest to that. I would have to look them up, but I think I've read them in like a report or something like that. I don't have a citation, unfortunately, but I think the people, the quality of the people is increasing. Um, however, the world they live in is eventually going to get more and more challenging, especially in the next 50 to 100 years. Um, a lot of these problems are going to be happening while I'm alive, while we're all alive, as I move into like my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. Um, obviously, climate change, a lot of shifts in political uh, ideologies and you know, policies that are happening in our country are going to make our world more difficult to survive in. But I think as human beings, we will all survive and thrive and find a way to uh, live our lives and enjoy our lives and be compassionate human beings in the midst of all of this turmoil going on because it's going to get a lot harder and hotter. So <laughs> sorry for bringing that realness in so fast, but you asked. <laughs> we have a lot of faith too in millennials and Gen Z in the future and yeah. building a bright future for all. We do. We have a lot of faith in that. And I want to learn about this journey. You know, this this music video and just, you know, you're quirky, you love nerd culture, mm -hmm. you are producing great music right now, you're building up a really solid following. Thank you. How did this even happen for you? Born in Evanston near Chicago yeah and then you went to Taiwan for most of your life yeah and then I'm curious how it was like I want to you know become a rapper you know so teach us about this journey sure I feel like it's a very unconventional journey and most people probably wouldn't expect it of me of someone who looked like me if they only knew me from a superficial way, which is one of the reasons why I decided to work on this project, because you can't get to know me just by looking at me or just by making assumptions about me. There's so much experience and so many stories that go underneath this like 
kind of generic look of an Asian American woman or person um, that you can make a lot of assumptions about, but you can't really see what's really going on. And making a rap project is kind of my way to express what's really underneath the surface and kind of expose who I really am as a person to whoever's listening. So yeah, it's an unusual journey. And honestly, you know, considering the culture that I was brought up in, most people probably wouldn't have gone on this path because I don't know how po popular hip hop even was in Taipei when I was growing up there, um, like in the late 1990s, throughout the most of the 2000s until like 2012, that's where I was living. I didn't find a lot of people who were interested in the same music that I was. Um, or interested in the same movies or you know niche internet fandoms that I was so I spent a lot of time on the internet um, in fact in fact internet this is a gift from my mother um, it's she, a gift from mom <laughs> yes <laughs> In fact, both of these pieces of clothing are gifts from my mother. Oh, um, that's cool. This is a Japanese bomber jacket, and this is a ironic T-shirt that says "Too much internet." And she clearly understands what I'm into, which is great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my parents are supportive. Have, yeah, yeah they've huge. been very supportive. Um, they never knew that I was going to do this, and I think they, you know, it, it can be still kind of hard for them to understand what I'm going for sometimes because making music about nerd culture is still kind of niche, although I think, as we're going to discuss later, it's eventually going to be more kind of conventional um, and mainstream, and that's the direction that I see the world going in, where being a nerd and being like intelligent is considered mainstream. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that. That <laughs> is going to be a, such a big key. Such a big key. Yeah, and I totally see that happening. But going back to what I was saying earlier, my my parents are were supportive and have been supportive, and my parents put me on this music journey by uh, enrolling me in music lessons. I'm classically trained. I play violin, um, and you know I played classical music for a really long time until I started getting into hip hop music. I listened to um, kind of early 2000s popular hip hop, mostly like Shady Aftermath records, like Eminem, 50 Cent, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, like all those folks um, kind of were able to reach an international audience and that's how I was able to hear about them. Mm -hmm. And I listened to a lot of these people just growing up when I was in, you know, my preteen years, 10, 11, 12, that's when all of this kind of culture, all the lyrics started getting really embedded into my head. Uh, I really liked how subversive it was and how transgressive it was compared to the culture that I was living in, which is very collectivist and very um, limited. You're expected to do a certain thing and to live a certain way and to look a certain way. And there's not much of a um, kind of uh, space to deviate from the norm in a culture like Taiwan or Korea or Japan, for example. And so I really enjoyed accessing this American culture because I felt like there was more freedom to express uh, who you really were on the inside. And that's how I got into this culture throughout school. I knew I always wanted to be a rapper. I wrote my first rap song when I was 14. 
and it was for an English class. My English teacher was very supportive, and he gave us all an assignment, telling us to write rap songs for our final project. And then, wow. yeah, isn't that cool? Yeah. He asked us to record it, and I recorded a song, and I submitted it. And he pulled me aside after I had submitted it, and he said, "Hey, Alex, this is really good. You should do this more." And I was like. I never forget that. I'll never. I never forgot that. Wow. So yeah, that's that's how I got here. I mean, I went yeah. to college. I still had to fulfill like, you know, uh, the expectations that were had of me. In Asian families, you're expected to go to and finish college, and so I did. I studied something I was interested in. I studied psychology. Um, I feel like I still have the opportunity to study more psychology, but I got a bachelor's in psychology. That's what I have right now. Um, and when I graduated, I decided that maybe I should, you know, give this rap career a shot. So I started writing my original songs, and here we are. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. So when you're young, uh, you know, you're like 11, 12. You're in Taipei. You're experiencing uh, quite a bit of the um, this collective vibe, which in so many ways this uh, uh, this is a different cultural social fabric than the United States and a lot of Europe, let's say, and just a more collective versus more individual, let's yes. say. And so when you are when you're hearing the music of uh, Dr. Dre and Snoop and Eminem getting all the way out to Taipei even. Right. And, and then that was inspiring you to kind of find your own, unleash your own inner self. Yes. That's so cool that, that, that these things piece together with like your, it was an English teacher that enabled the writing project? The, yeah. That, that the rap writing project at mm -hmm. 14? Yeah. Yeah, see, this is the kind of cool stuff. It's a very common thing of people that sit here is that when they speak, it's like, oh my gosh, the doors, the influences, the, that, yeah. The kind of butterfly effect, you know, if I hadn't had that English teacher, I may not have ever had the guts to write something original. I had written like Weird Al style parodies and stuff, and I was trying to take existing material and adapt it to, you know, adapt it based on my own words and my own thoughts. But that isn't really, I think that isn't really like a way to uh, be something other than Weird Al. You, you know Weird Al, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, again, listening to all those top 40 hip-hop artists when I was younger, I listened to their experiences and I immediately understood that that was not my experience and I couldn't appropriate that experience and pretend that it was mine. But I could easily use the medium and the cadence and the way that they were writing these words and the attitude behind it, that kind of braggadocious attitude of a hip-hop artist. And I could apply that to my own experiences and I could use my own, adapt my own experiences and deliver it with that same medium without kind of pretending that I'm necessarily, you know, uh, part of this how do I say it? Like appropriating their culture. Does that make sense? Mm, or pretending sure. that I'm a part of them when I'm really not. Yeah. You, but the vibe, I see. Yes, the yeah, vibe. The, the vibe is yeah. critical, and you have been carrying that vibe still through. Yeah, it's just great. It's great. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, with this, how did you then, 
can you give us a little bit of context here just so that we know what are some of the cultural fabric vibes that occur in some of the Asian countries that push a little bit more towards that collective mm -hmm. mentality and then um, and how do you feel about some of the um, some of the benefits of that versus some of the fact that it was inhibiting your own identity as well. Mm. Um, one of the things that I can really say without being too critical of it, I'm cut, I'm, I've always been very respectful to my Asian roots and the culture that I grew up in, but lately I've been kind of having more of a, uh, like a reflective phase on the culture that I grew up in and realizing that not all of it is good. You know, there are aspects of it that are really good. Respect for parents is stronger, I would argue, in Asian, East Asian cultures. And, you know, to a certain extent, being collectivist is also really good for social harmony. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think one of the things that can be damaging is when people feel the pressure to all act a certain way and all look a certain way then the opportunity for diversity really shrinks and people who fall outside of this limited scope of what it means to be okay just get left out on the wayside and that's how i felt when i was younger i felt like i didn't fit in that nobody was accepting me because i didn't look like them i didn't act like them and i didn't like the things that they liked and in east asia you're expected let's go with the appearance thing there's like a very strict appearance. Let's take Korea, for example. I just came back from Korea. Um, I'm not Korean, but I visited Korea and I kind of um, got to experience their culture a little bit. Uh, there's this very strict look for what a Korean woman should look like. And it, that's the look that appears in media, in K-pop, in Korean dramas. Uh, there's a very specific look for a beautiful woman in Korea and it goes all the way down to having a certain facial structure, to having certain features, to having a certain hairstyle and hair color. And what I realized is that if you don't fall within that scope, then you're not considered attractive. And that, especially for cultures where uh, appearances are really important for the prospects of women in getting married mm -hmm. and the pressure for women to get married is a lot heavier than it is here in a lot of ways mm. uh, that can mm. be really damaging mm. and people who don't look like that feel the pressure to look like that and they feel the pressure to maybe surgically alter their features so that they can look closer to that ideal um, and i don't think that that's healthy and while I think it's okay for people to decide what they want to do with their bodies, it's important to have bodily autonomy. Um, I also think that a lot of people feel like they don't have a choice in looking a certain way uh, or in, in wanting to look a certain way. And um, in America, on the other hand, there's different kinds of niches where different kinds of body shapes, body sizes, hairstyles, hair colors, facial features, skin colors are accepted and considered attractive by at least a good amount of the population. It's like the decorating the avatar. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So having more of this diversity 
and having people who accept people who look different, a wider range of it's okay to look like this, makes it so that people don't feel so bad about the way they look, right? And people feel more accepted. And people can always turn on the TV and find someone who looks like them and say, hey, it's okay to look like that. I guess I'm an okay human being, right? And so that's one of the major reasons I think um, collectivism can be bad. Uh, it limits diversity and it limits the amount of people who, um, who can be role models for other people in the world, you know? And then give us the good on the social harmony side of things too. Um, the good on the social harmony. I think especially when it comes to family dynamics, there is a level of respect and a level of gratitude coming from children to their parents, to their extended family, to their grandparents, to their aunts, um, to their uncles. Big extended families can be somewhat common in Asia, although it's getting less common because of um, declining childbirth rates. Um, but traditionally, Asian cultures have had big families who all live together. And this value of family and the recognition that regardless of the flaws of one's family, a lot of times they are like looking out for you and trying to do the best for you, even if you know, it can be misguided sometimes. I think, I think it's really valuable and shaped me a lot as a kid and shapes me a lot as an adult. I will always feel grateful to my family, regardless of whether sometimes I agree with them or not. And I think that really promotes a very healthy, you know, collective, healthy community that a person can exist in, you know, even if they don't have that many friends or have a relationship, they can always depend on their family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <sighs> yeah, this nuance I've been also trying to help explain to some of the people that have only been in the West, and that and and I, it's really hard to to to. It's good that you gave both of these perspectives. You grew up. You've now spent a good amount of time in both of these environments to have this deeper nuance. I do think there's a lot of good code that comes from um, East over time, yeah. and even in all the way up to today with the way that China is just roaring uh, as a global power, yeah. um, that I think the West needs to ha take a hefty dose of humility. Yes. And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and also build a very strong bridge between East Asia and the um, United States, because I think that can ensure a, 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 like a good chance for world peace across the planet. Yeah, um, especially when the major world powers are China and the United States. I think it's really important for both of these countries and the people in them to understand what makes the other exactly. person tick. Exactly. And a question for you, how familiar are you um, with East Asia in general? Like, have you spent a lot of time there? Um, because uh, from my experience, um, Americans, you know, Americans, regard, like maybe white Americans, black Americans, Latino Americans, but also Asian Americans who haven't spent time in the East don't really understand what the culture is like, I guess. And they don't understand the good things that come from the culture and they don't understand the bad things that come from the culture. And they may, what ends up manifesting from their maybe obsession with the culture is, oh, this culture is all good. 
or if they have like the opposite reaction, then let's say like an Asian American who feels like they don't want to be seen as Asian, they just want to be seen as American, but they never spend any time in Asia. Maybe they'll have like the opposite reaction of like, oh, like Asian culture is like all bad. But if you haven't spent any time there, it's really, really hard to like understand, especially if you don't have relatives or friends who are from there. And so I'm curious to hear about your experience. Just on a real quick note, um, sure. the the yes, I think there for the last several thousand years there have, there have been very ancient practices that have come out of a, um, Asian cultures that I've been able to practice, um, deep meditations and philosophies that I think have drastically changed my life for the better, and I think uh, every everyone in the West uh, can at least take a taste yep. into some of that and potentially um, chill on some of the egoic vibes that happen here. Yeah, um, a lot of the time and at the same time I do uh, recognize what you said earlier about even something as simple as decorating the avatar yeah. the West is like decorate your avatar how you want yeah and like that's really cool and can be empowering and so um, I this is this is good stuff I haven't been yet um, and Ron have you been to uh, Asia yet no um, so uh, I'm not saying that you're not an expert. I'm sure that you've studied it a lot and read a lot of books. I'm not trying to call you out. Totes, totes. To, <laughs> and there's, there's crazy things happening like the Belt Road Initiative. There's so many interesting things um, that are occurring in that part of the world and even in the last thousands of years. But, but, but just on a, on, a, um, on a global cohesion level, Ron and I have had several conversations now with people that we've interviewed that have asked us, when are you going to come out to you know, Wuhan University or out near Shanghai? Um, you know, these are, like, these are actually like, bit, like, bit, like, people are now starting to gain more interest in, in having us go out there. And we want to spend, I, 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 Ron, I, I'm not sure quite on Ron, I don't want to speak for him, but I want to spend several months out there interviewing hundreds of scientists and entrepreneurs and artists and people at the edge of their fields. And I want our channel to have hundreds of people from, um, from Asia and, and to be able to then showcase how similar um, in many ways our humanity is, our desire for peace, love, dignity, prosperity, um, just these similar um, fabrics that I think can, can bring that world peace thing together. So that's, totally. yeah, that's a, that's a bit on, on where hopefully um, we can see. And with your help, people like us can do things like uh, grow what we're trying to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, hope yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go into um, how did you get when you were, when you're, <clears throat> when you're, you know, studying in high school and whatnot, and mm -hmm. then you're like, how did the, how did the bid to go out to Berkeley to do psychology come up? Um, as I mentioned earlier, going to college is kind of a requirement in East Asian families, especially with my family. Uh, my family is a family full of academics. My, both of my parents are, went to like higher education uh, and you know, my dad went to higher, higher education. And so you know, all my family is well educated either in law or in medicine or we, I don't think we really have any engineers in the house, but yeah, like my family's super educated. We're all academics and we, we were expected to be academics. And my older brother, uh, ended up going to law school, so he, he ended up following in the path of the academics. Where did he go? Um, Duke Law, he just graduated. He, oh, he went to the U.S., yeah. to Duke. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Interesting. So then you were also finding your way out. Okay. Yeah, we okay. both went to college in the U.S. Cool. He went to the East Coast, I went to Berkeley, and you know he just graduated from law school. Um, I've been doing this, but you know, in 
the, you might think that these maybe rank like differently on like the value system, you know, on whether like one is better than the other. But I would say that we've both succeeded in our own ways. Me and my brother, I love my brother a lot. He is, has always been my rock. We're, we're super close. Um, but anyway, that song was good. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Do you sing in any other tracks or just that one? Well, working on a new album, and there's a lot more singing in the new album. Great. Yeah, and cool. hasn't been released yet, but yeah, there's a lot more melody. There's a lot more singing choruses and hooks in the new album, and it's more catchy. And I'm excited to unveil it. It's just still in process totally, right now. Totally. Totally. Yeah, but about like going to school, I was always expected to go to college. I applied to colleges. UC Berkeley was probably the best school that I got into, and I was very happy to be accepted. And going there uh, was you know, kind of just a given. I was always expected to go to school in the U.S. and get a degree and then do something with that degree, or not. Um, I don't know if I'm specifically using my degree to do rap music now, but there's getting- There's some overlap. <laughs> there's, there's plenty of there's overlap. So, there's lots of overlap, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like writing very psychologically driven, uh, analytical songs yeah. that kind of engage my, uh, knowledge about the brain and emotions and yes. things like that stuff that I learned in school so a lot of my education actually comes through in my writing that's but right. yeah and that's it, a big part of the future of rap is embedding some uh, deeper uh, potentially scientific potentially uh, meaning there's yeah, yeah yeah rather than some of the existing uh, what we could call the uh, money, women, materialistic possessions. There's style. a lot of that, yeah. and I think a lot of that appears in mainstream rap nowadays, especially in kind of the mumble rap generation, mm -hmm. where it's just kind of people going like oh, blah, 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 about you know money, drugs, whatever. Um, there's a lot of current rap though, and also you know older rap that is underground. Has oh. always talked about things like politics or you know raging against the machine or. Uh, and we're not talking about toasters, we're talking about the machine. <laughs> totally. Yeah, and like social justice and, you know, also raps about um, uh, like varieties of different pop culture icons like movies or like horror or, you know, uh, books. I think that has always existed, it's just always been underground. So my expectation for the future of rap is that that kind of stuff gets more popular. And I'm already seeing it with, let's say, rappers such as Logic, who sure. are really kind of uh, getting into the spotlight nowadays. He got a feature in Rick and Morty, right? He mm -hmm. did like a cameo on that show. And his rap is very convoluted, often very analytical, mm -hmm. often very uh, intellectual, like poetic, I guess. Um, and yeah, so. Like rappers like Logic, for example. Sure, I'm not sure. saying that he's the only one, but there's Totes. there are a lot of people that are coming out of the woodwork who are starting to, you know, bring their education or bring kind of more abstract, um, like convoluted stuff, esoteric mm -hmm. yeah. elements into their writing, and I'm starting to see it more and more in the mainstream, which is great. So I really want that kind of like nice underground stuff 
that has always been around to go mainstream. Yeah. 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 And the, the generation that we're a part of and even younger than us, I think is going to be a big part of pushing that up, having music that has meaning embedded in it, uh, spiritual music. Um, um, like when was the last time a rapper rapped about CRISPR or neural prosthetics or, blo or blockchain and cryptocurrency, right? Well, so, I know a couple of rappers. I could list off like three that rap about blockchain and cryptocurrency immediately. So, there you go. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. And you're deep in the scene. So when is it going to become mainstream? Mm. And so, okay. So then um, when you picked the mind and, you, and you're now seeing yourself also acting a little bit more in the direction of, of embedding some of the things that you learned uh, into the music that you, that you produce, I want to know um, the words actually Lex the Lexicon Artist those words sure you know you had teach us about because alex son liu liu yes yeah so yeah so how did this happen so alex and liu is my full name obviously um alex is my first name it's not short for anything it's just alex which i think is great uh because i'm like somewhat non-binary as well and so it doesn't kind of immediately give like a feminine vibe to it it's very like unisex which I think is really good analog for my personality and my identity in general. Um, so Alex is my name, but and Sun Liu, those are my two non-given names, I guess. Sun is my mom's last name. Liu is my dad's last name. Mm. Um, but Alex, I decided to give myself a nickname when I started doing this. I shortened it to Lex because it was even more kind of like gender neutral, which is what I preferred. And so... Lex the Lexicon Artist is, the Lexicon Artist is a portmanteau of Lexicon and Con Artist. Mm -hmm. So Con Artist is someone who like kind of tricks people, right? Lexicon means vocabulary or the words in your brain. So Lexicon Artist means word trickster. And that was what I started off with when I first started writing. My goal was to write really complicated SAT approved, like big vocabulary, like rap lyrics and rap really fast. That was the goal. I was like, yeah, I'm going to play with words. I'm going to be like a word trickster. That was the goal. But as I continued to work on this project, it started to have more meaning to it. And I eventually started to value substance over style. And so I've slowed down my rapping a little bit. I incorporate more themes of you know, emotional analysis, psychology, pop culture, uh, stuff that people can relate to, my own experiences as opposed to kind of just being like, oh, da, 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 I can rap really fast. Yeah, so like the kind of concept of the project has evolved over time, but I would still say that lexicon artist is a good way to describe it because it's the usage of words that really matters to me as a writer. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's so evident in the music because in 2016 when you first started piecing this together, mm -hmm. um, for me, I listen to Raging Ego and that was released two years later June 2018 yeah and that had 11 tracks on it and I remember listening to it and I and I told Ron I told him that I was so happy to finally hear because I had a little taste of like hip-hop and rap that had some more meaning yeah. to it but you gave me that big smile on my face. Oh, thank you. Because um, I was like, this is what's up. This is such a big part of our future. I'm so happy to be seeing it rising. Thank and, you. And so hopefully 
hopefully, let's, let's, let's hear some of that from you. How in that first couple years, and from 2006 to 2018, did you figure out how to get your footing in the space and get launched off? Because there's likely also other people that may be in the same shoes or want to know how it happened. Sure. Yeah. I'm always happy to help people who like are interested, have the talent, and want to get on their feet and you know start working on projects. So I can definitely talk about how I did it. It was weird because like when I started, I had basically really never written an original song. And really one day I was just sitting in my living room, living room with my friend and I was like, hey, I think I'm gonna start writing rap songs. And he was like, yeah, do it. And I wrote a rap song. I brought it to an open mic, uh, the Starry Plow in Berkeley. It's a Tuesday night open mic. And one of my friends who is a comedian invited me to go to that open mic to check it out and like to perform my stuff. I was like, okay, cool. Let me give this a shot. And I performed my stuff and it ended up having a really good response. And that was the first time I ever performed like Lex lyrics. And that was a great way for me to start believing that I could actually do it. So jumping off from there, I started writing more stuff. I started writing songs. I started performing more at the open mics. I checked out different open mics. So I got my start in the open mic scene around here. I would do open mics in Oakland, San Francisco, and Berkeley for the most part. Um, and once I was started to get known enough in the open mic scene, I started to get show invites. So I started playing more kind of like official shows where I had a longer set. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a lot of help from folks who were in the local scene to kind of start getting me on my feet to get more shows. Um, they taught me how to promote local shows and so I started setting up shows and that eventually helped me find my band. I found you know, instrumentalists who were willing to work with me and play with me live and pretty much just, just started gigging and eventually I also, you know, as I continued writing, I sourced my ideas from the experiences that I was having along the way. I would write about how it felt to write a song or how it felt to perform or how it felt to watch someone who I admired perform and I would write about my relationship life, I would write about my education, and pretty much just anything that I thought would make a good song would be compelling or relatable to someone, I would write a song about. And that happened throughout the whole two years that I first worked on it, and I released all of the songs that I was working on in Raging Ego um, for in 2018. So all of that that you hear, the 11 songs, it was like throughout two years in the making. Yeah, and I, I basically played gigs a lot and I started networking on the internet too and I found people who did similar things to me on the internet and I established a connection with that community. Things started blowing up around 2018, but I can pause here first so Let's that we that. can- yes, Oh yeah? so we can unpack. Yeah. I wanna unpack, what were you wanting to pause for? Oh, I was wanting to pause because I felt like I was talking a lot. Okay, cool, okay, cool, cool. I thought you were like, because I'm about to drop something quick. <laughs> okay, so um, now what, what? We can unpack. Yes, yes. Yeah. So in the, like 2016, 2017, I think um, this is also very similar with um, artists, with uh, comedians, with musicians, with rappers, that 
that there's always this period of like open mic or like you know you got you like the first time it's like I'm gonna write okay great and then it's like I'm gonna perform it's like great yeah it's, it's so go and get it go do it, do it. Yeah. yeah and then you do it and then you get feedback from the audience about right. what's working what's not working you go and refine you keep going you gotta go to Oakland SF Berkeley and hustle yeah and like do multiple gigs and like keep going. And so, okay, so then that content base built up, but then how did you end up identifying like who could help you produce the music that you could then rap over for the album? That's a great question. And really, I would say um, that part and producing the music uh, and creating videos and kind of elevating my game to the next step beyond just kind of doing one song at an open mic and hustling kind of like groundwork is what I like to call it groundwork the first two years were probably just groundwork you know like 2016 2017 I was doing a lot of like local shows I was networking with the people around me I was um, getting advice getting feedback from the people who are also in the local scene who are like close to me and I was able to improve a lot based on that but it didn't really get me beyond being in this area the, the reason that I was able to start creating music, first of all, and also um, have my name be beyond the Bay Area was because of the internet. And I got to meet a community uh, called Nerdcore Hip Hop on the internet. Nerdcore Hip Hop. Yes. <laughs> and that's the, that's the kind of industry or genre that I work in uh, a lot of the time. There's an industry slash genre for this now. Yes. Nerdcore hip hop, and it's awesome. <laughs> this is so great. And yeah. This is, uh, where did the where does the community live? Like subreddits, or where did they live? Ah, oh, there's a nerdcore subreddit for sure. Okay. Um, the 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 online community initially existed on a um, forum called Rhyme Torrents. Rhyme. Uh, it's not active anymore, but the, most of the Rhyme Torrents people have moved into a Facebook group called. Okay. Nerdcore hip hop. Okay, and well, I'm about to join that. Join <laughs> nerdcore hip hop. You're yeah. gonna love it. Yeah. It's um, there's a lot of trolls. Just just warning you. Yes. There's always a lot of trolls. Always trolls. But <laughs> I got trolled when I first joined. So I first joined the group and they trolled the hell out of me. Um, but then they started realizing that I was pretty good. And you're serious. Yeah. yeah. That I was serious about. Yeah. You know, getting into the industry, um, writing music, performing music, and touring. I was serious about all of that and they started noticing and they also started noticing that I became better because yeah. I didn't start off being so good. You know, we always improve as artists. I started off from being an okay rapper to being an actually pretty good rapper. Yep. And as they noticed, I started making more connections with folks who were already actively touring within Nerdcore Hip Hop. Um, there is an official South by Southwest Nerdcore Showcase. Sweet. Yeah, there is a, um, a music and gaming festival in Maryland that's also very well attended. Uh, it's called MAGFest Music and Gaming. Mm. And that's kind of an intersection of gaming related rap and mm -hmm. video game music, chiptunes, mm -hmm. things like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and so I was able to perform at both of these events uh, basically this year, 2019. Nice. So because of the connections that I made through Nerdcore Hip Hop. So yeah, a lot of it had to do with going out there like to the festivals, meeting people in person. Um, but honestly, these people exist all over the map. There's people in Texas. There's a huge Texas family that exists. There's people in New York, people in uh, LA, people in Denver, Colorado. It's like really all over the map. And 
in order to obviously network with them, you have to know them over the internet first, but you also have to meet them at events. And so that's what I did. And would nerdcore hip hop be one of the reasons that you found producers to help you with the that's exactly album? okay yeah that's okay. exactly um, what happened. So all the producers that I work with, with the exception of one or two, um, have been people that I found through this site. Uh, there are rappers on well, there are rappers in this group. There are producers in this group. Uh, more so, there are people who are great people and who are very talented and have uh, the skill set to produce music. So I'm a composer, right? I write music. Uh, I can compose violin parts, piano parts. I don't play guitar, but I can compose like kind of guitar parts, and I can <laughs> I can compose bass parts. You know, stuff that's like fairly like writing driven, if that makes sense. Um, but I can't produce very well. That skill set comes from someone who has worked for years and years with like audio production uh, systems, like uh, digital audio workstations. Uh, someone like Ron, for yeah. example. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like you have to be very familiar with the technical side of it. And I don't have that skill set. So I was actually able to find people who were able to take the compositions that I made that were basically like skeletons or mm -hmm. you know demos, like a songwriter's demo, mm -hmm. and kind of make it better and play instruments and produce beats, and produce you know drums, effects, and create like a complete piece of music uh, to rap over. Yep. So I have a little bit of a hand in the composition of the songs, yes. but to produce the songs, I had to find people who had the skill set to do that. And that group was a really big reason. Yeah, see your resourcefulness, that's a major key of people achieving what their ultimate destinies are, is how resourceful can you be along the way to find uh, nerdcore hip hop? How, how resourceful can you be? Because to be able to find that community, go to the community's events, connect with the producers there, ask them to help you produce the music that you're working on, you know, and be fearless about, about how we're gonna end up falling on our face along the way and it's not gonna be as good when we first start. So, love hearing these stories. And then you worked with multiple producers to make the first album? Yeah, yeah okay. there's so many producers on there and that's kind of how I uh, prefer working anyway because, um, I like having a variety of different styles. Mm -hmm. I try not to limit myself to one genre. I've yeah. done like a surf punk track with Michael Kill. I did like kind of a chiptune, excuse me, chiptune punk track with Cloth and Pop. And there are just a variety of different styles and sounds on the album. And I always want to engage those different influences that I have That's from great. rock to metal to chill jazz. You know, there's so many different types of music that I could rap over, and I don't want to limit myself to just one sound, so I like working with a variety of different people. Yeah, but all of that kind of, um, all of the, all of the ideas, all the executive production, like how the album's going to shape out, what the themes are going to be, that's all me. And yeah, your, your songs are also tons of, like you said, tons of different producers that are giving you different beats, which is awesome and then also you have the names of the songs and what you talk about them like sales freak the l word curse of curiosity psych major mistakes. you really like those titles huh because <laughs> it's not like my new ferrari 
you know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to write a song called My New Ferrari. Yeah, just because It's going to be so fake because yeah, I don't yeah. even yeah, have a go. car. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah hey, yeah. Lex. Who did the animation on uh, Mob Explosion? Is that the name of the song? Yeah, it's a, it's from the anime. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it, it's from the show. Yeah, so whoever directed that show and made the animation did that. So we took the animation of the, from the show and then cut it up to kind of, you know, um, to, to the music. Cool. Yeah. And all right, so then like, yo, so walk us through writing uh, songs like this and, uh, and how you kind of identify what the purpose of these, of, of, this, of these songs on this album are, and like, yeah, yeah, how you piece it all together. Huh. It's an art, not a science. Mm. That's what I have to say about that. It's, um, you can't control creativity. It's one of the many curses of creativity. Um, some of it is a science. Music is quite scientific. Like, you know, music theory is very mathematical and very scientific. But figuring out what to write, what stories are going to resonate with people, and what you're inspired to write at that particular moment, and what sounds natural and what is actually going to reach your audience, that's all art. Like, there's no one way to do it. You can start with a beat and then write lyrics over it. You can start with the lyrics and then have someone create a beat around it. Mm -hmm. um, you can do kind of both at the same time, go back and forth, have some lyrics, go make a beat, and then kind of match the beat to the lyrics and then write more lyrics. So there's no one process in which a song gets made. Um, it all depends on what's happening here. And you really can't control it, and I really wish that there was a way to control it and to harness that energy so I could mm. take it out whenever I wanted, but I can't really do that. I can set some time down for me to write, um, but I can't guarantee that what I write is going to be good. Um, so for example, Curse of Creativity is a song that I wrote for, um, wait, not for, I wrote in three to four hours while I was sitting at my night job at my desk. There was a period of downtime. I was like, I got this idea. <laughs> Three to four hours. That was it. A song's done. Mm -hmm. um, what are the songs on there? Uh, man. I think Sales Freak took me a really long time. Like, that was just shoving everything I knew about psychology and sales mm. into a song. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, it's going to be funny to write a song yeah. about sales and psychology. <laughs> yeah. Like, nobody writes a song about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, this, this, even that, <laughs> that you just said that, that is a profound thing. Thanks. It's just so lacking. Like, sales and psychology are such a beautiful uh, mix. And, like, why have there's, there, has there been so little music, film, art, about those two things put together. And I like how you were just like, like you just came up with <laughs> just Yeah, I was it. like, I'm, I used to do sales. You know, I, I was a tech salesperson. And so I have a lot of experience in sales. I have a lot of experience in psychology. So let's write a song about it, make it funny. So that was how I wrote that song. But it took a really long time because I was taking all these terminologies and like putting it into the song. And it was kind of a more calculated song as opposed to a rush of creativity. It was more like, yes. let's make this perfect. And so that ended up taking a lot longer. 
And yeah, so those two songs were written via different processes, yeah. and I can never guarantee what process is going to uh, be the driving force of a song. Uh, as I said, it's an art, not a science, and I wish it could be more scientific, but a lot of times you just gotta let the creativity take you over and write what comes to your heart, and then test it with an audience to see if it works, and if it doesn't work, maybe scrap that song and write another one. <laughs> so you have to be okay with failure too. Because sometimes I've written songs that I've never published because I thought it was a good idea at the time. And then people were like, oh, this is actually kind of problematic. And I was like, okay, then I won't do it. <laughs> Can so, you give yeah. us an example? What, I mean, what was, mm -hmm. the, what was the problem? Um, I have written like party songs. Mm. Like I have written like straight up party songs like, yeah, let's get drunk, let's party. It was like, one of the first songs that I've ever written. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, yeah, it's like fun, you know? People enjoy doing that. And then people were like, is this actually making a good message on alcoholism and mm -hmm. alcohol addiction? I was like, you know what? I don't think it is. So I'm gonna scrap it. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, everybody, know, everybody that knows me knows that I would have appreciated it, Lex. You know, <laughs> I know you would. Yeah, I advocate for alcoholism and uh, drug abuse. <laughs> Stop Honestly. It. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> it's in, um, it, like, kind of analyzing drug addiction and alcohol addiction and substance dependency. It can be really, really insightful. Um, you just got to do it in the right way. And in that song, I wasn't doing it in the right way. Totally. I was kind of glorifying it yeah, in yeah, a way. Yeah. And I know I have a lot of friends who have talked about their own substance dependence yeah, um, yeah. in their music, and that's really powerful. But yeah. personally, I haven't had any substance dependence issues. Yeah. So I wouldn't want to write a song about something that isn't authentic to me. I can't write a song about my new Ferrari because I don't own one. You know, I don't have the money to own one. You can make a parody about it. I can yeah. make a. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can. I can write a parody of Old Town Road called yeah. My New Ferrari. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's another thing. It has to be authentic. All these songs yes. are mostly autobiographical. Yes. They're all related to my experience in some way. They're all about something that's authentic to me. I would never pretend to write about something that I know nothing about. Except the L word, love. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I also experienced that. I, was <laughs> I experienced that, which is why I wrote about it. But yeah, yeah. it's um, that, that one's a weird one. I told you earlier that, like, I love the weirdness. It's so weird. I love the weirdness. People think it's such a good song. Like, I have so many fans who are like, I love that song. And I'm like, man, that's like. I think it's so cheesy, but I felt like I had to write it. I don't even perform it anymore, but like maybe I should bring it back. The more weird and is like the more self-expressive. And so I think we're <laughs> totally so moving, revealing. We're totally moving to a culture where the more weird it is, that the more real it is, the more authentic it is. And this is the type of stuff that we really want. Got such a badass picture of you performing yeah such a good one <laughs> i really like that one it's such a good one so yeah. so um also another thing that you mentioned i thought was so cool is that the this is nerd culture i mean what you write is nerd culture yeah. like whether it's you finishing a song three to four hours or you having to piece together tons of research into a song mm -hmm. right that 
or having to scrap a song because people say like look at yourself in the mirror look at your what you want to propagate out into the world that's really good powerful stuff that you were able to make the decision and say no that you didn't want to to surround yourself with good people that mm. helped you with that very important super critical community is super important having people who prop you up and tell you when you're messing up and not just shovel you with praise all the time right. but tell you when you're doing wrong that's right and correct you and you having the mental fortitude and flexibility to actually listen to the people around you super critical if you can't change if you can't get better you'll never succeed yeah <laughs> and, and ta taking, taking the feedback no matter how it comes if it comes with a with a in in, in with, at first if they give you a, a layer of, of of icing or uh or if they just give you right into the red hot chili peppers or whatever i prefer the red hot chili peppers. I, I prefer it too i i prefer it coming uh, red hot right i'm right. a no frills kind of person Likewise. i'm just like direct direct yeah. af and then, but then we have to tailor it to people how their psychological needs are when we want to deliver feedback. So it's a very yeah. interesting, uh, yeah, dynamic there. Now, um, the the question that I just wanted to embed quick in that segment was just sure. that, like, the songs are totally nerd culture. They're like epically nerd culture. Thanks. And like, what is happening as you are like performing? Um, you re released this album. You've been performing now. Um, and even like, I mean, this is even before talking about the the newest album, Special, mm -hmm. which came out five tracks uh, January mm -hmm. of this year. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned the 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 Meg that you went and performed at and stuff. Correct. So there's places you went and performed at. It's just and you're performing around the bay with your band. Yeah. But just like, what has been the feedback that you've been getting from the from people online that are telling you about nerd culture and your songs as well as the audiences live yeah teach us about that i get a couple of different reactions i can tell you about the ones that come up the most often mm -hmm. um, i think number one uh, is people find my stuff relatable and they love hearing about uh, experiences that they can see themselves in mm -hmm. and feelings and emotions that they have lived themselves. And so they're able to listen to my music, maybe in the car, on the way to work, on the go, at the gym, uh, pump themselves up, lift themselves up emotionally, and have a strong emotional effect on their own lives because they can understand what I'm saying. And they can understand the things that I've, going, uh, I've been going through because they have had a similar experience as outcasts in the world. And that's a big population, a big audience of people who listen to nerdcore music is people who never felt like they belonged anywhere, people who felt like they were ostracized in school for liking things that weren't popular or for liking things that other people didn't like. And going back to my early days, I felt like that because the people around me weren't into the things that I was into. And so all these experiences kind of surface in this album in the other albums and songs that I've made, and people are able to find themselves and see themselves in it. And that, I say, is representation. Representation is extremely important because if someone can hear themselves in a song or see themselves on TV, then they can see that and be like, that's like me. I guess I'm okay. And everyone just wants to feel okay. You know, everyone wants to feel okay and see that their, their life is not so bad to find comfort that other, other people are living the lives that they're living. And that's the kind of comfort and 
compassionate understanding that I aim to deliver to people by creating these songs. So relatability is number one. And let me riff on just a quick bit on that. On sure. relatability also, if you propagate nerd culture through the music that you're doing as well, so not only is it that people can then hear it themselves and say that, wow, like that emotionally resonates with me, finally I'm hearing that um, in music that I listen to, but also they get to potentially see that nerd culture is cool. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a huge thing too. That's how you're taught at the beginning. You're like, we have so many things that we're needed, that we are challenges that we need to solve. Mm -hmm. And nerd culture is going to come in and kick those challenges asses. Yeah. And so that's huge is that that inspire, the inspiring force that goes through people as well, that they can, you know, see you talking about a big challenge in the world and then rise up and and tackle that and you know the see it be it thing is so critical and I, like that's another part of the relatability i think and to see someone who looks like them or lives like them be successful and they might see me and have the reaction of i can do that too she's successful and she's being open and she's rapping about her life maybe i can do that maybe i can pursue the things that i like i want to provide that encouragement for people too Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. And you shattered through some of the cultural taboos that you had to as well to, to move up into the position that you're in. So For sure. That's another critical one is the shattering the taboos along the way. Yeah. yeah. Shattering the stereotypes, the taboos. Um, there's a stereotype of Asian women being boring or submissive or, you know, not outspoken or, you know, not cool. Uh, there's a variety of different stereotypes that surround someone who looks like me to the point that when I went on tour, a lot of people, when I showed up at the venue, didn't think that I was the performer. They asked me if I was the sound person <laughs> and I would have to look them in the eye and say, I'm the performer. And that really changes people's minds. I think it's really important to do stuff that alters someone's perceptions a little bit and maybe changes their minds on something um, that they previously had a preconception of in the past. Yes. Um, yes. And if you can change their preconceptions, then you can expand their minds and allow them to learn new things. And you've taught them one new thing just by showing up, you know? Uh -huh. And so shattering cultural stereotypes, uh, taboos of me being a part of the culture, you know, being open about you know, mental illness, things like that is also really important for folks who are dealing with the same issues, who see someone who looks like me talking about these things, um, they can feel like they have someone to look up to and I wanna be that person. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that is another thing by the way, is Asian women, Asian folks in general, um, have usually had a really positive response to seeing me, uh, mostly because I am a source of representation for them within hip hop, within nerd culture, and within music in general. Uh, I think there could be even more Asian American musicians coming out and, you know, being successful. I think it's already starting to happen, um, but I think it could be even more. Now that Crazy Rich Asians is out, a lot of um, movie studios are really jumping on uh, Asian-focused stories and pilots and um, media content. Yeah. It's getting really popular because people are starting to see that these stories are profitable and people are actually interested in seeing the experiences of these people. And I think it's the same way with music too. 
And so that's the other feedback that I've gotten. Can I share the last yes, bit of, of feedback? Yes, of course. That was okay. relatability. Yep, yep. And the last bit of feedback that is very common is girl power. Ooh. Yeah. Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, most nerdcore hip hop artists are men. Uh, they can be white men, mostly white men. There's plenty of black men too, um, but they're mostly men. And uh, women need, in the space are very rare. Women in the space are very rare. There's a couple uh, who are active, uh, but they're very rare. And folks who are regularly touring and experiencing kind of a upward growth are, and active nowadays, are you know even rarer. And I have a lot of women at my shows. Nice. You know, and a lot of times these women are th these women are there to see the male performers that they came out to see. Because, for example, I went on tour last year for two months across the country with a performer named MC Chris, mm -hmm. and he used to be on Adult Swim, and he's also a rapper mm -hmm. in the nerdcore space. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of women fans and male fans and non-binary fans who came out to see MC Chris because he has a huge following in the world and in, in the US. Uh, but I got the reaction from a lot of women when I went on stage saying that they didn't expect to see a woman opening for MC Chris and that they were so excited to see a woman, you know, be on that stage and rap about nerd culture. I love it. Because they are involved in nerd culture and some of them even want to write rap songs. Yes. Um, but they never thought that they could do it or they never th saw someone who was doing it to encourage them to do it. And now that they saw me, they instantly realized that they can do it too. And they're also so happy to see someone who is making it out there in the world as a woman and as a nerd. So I get a lot of like nerd, uh, nerd girl power responses they're so happy to see like a female mc in a genre hip-hop that is generally already male dominated but you add the nerd aspect to it and it's even more male dominated because a lot of you know nerd culture often discourages women from participating whether in gaming or being involved in stem you know there's a lot of like cultural artifacts that make it really hard for women to participate a, a lot of the time and so that's the feedback that I get from women. They're like, girl rapper, I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's another one of the see it, be it things is so critical. If they, if they can see you, then they can go home and, and say that finally, okay, great, I'm gonna get writing because I've had all those ideas and I want to go and make them happen. So that's huge, it's huge. And there's another whole, a dynamic of it along the lines of like what um, what 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 females can bring to to the table of values and principles that are sometimes lacking uh, for 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 what men are trying to build or work on. So see it, yeah. be it. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> yeah, see it, be it. 100%. Yeah. I might write a song called "See It, Be It." I love it. Yeah, I love it. That's huge. That's huge. And um, you know, um, another interesting thing is that. Um, uh, what is her name? Jojo. Jojo Siwa has a song about that. Oh, yeah? Um, the young girl down in um, L.A. And, um, yeah, if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. And, like, so her, yeah, her, that's another interesting thing is that hip-hop and rap seems to be moving in the direction of also inspiring and engaging at deeper levels than just, yeah, materialism and all the other gunk. Um, 
Occasional materialism can be a lot of fun, but it shouldn't be all of it. Yeah, 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 yeah totally, totally. Yeah, however people want to live, yeah, live their lives. Um, but but the, the uprising of nerd culture is, is, is coming. Um, okay, other, other thoughts that I think is important to explain. Um, sure. You have uh, your band, uh, guitar, a bassist, a violinist, and a drummer. Mm -hmm. um, you guys do live shows in the Bay. And then, so for those that are local, um, you can find that info on the website, right? LexiconArtist.com. Yeah, I don't think I updated my most recent show, but, uh, I mean, the upcoming show, but I'm going to be playing at FanimeCon this weekend, so... Yeah, that's the 25th. Yeah, the 25th. Yeah, yeah. and that's FanimeCon is... Is in San Jose. It's an anime convention, and uh, the event is Music Fest for Fan FanimeCon, and it's the official music festival for the convention, and it's happening in uh, the music venue that's across the street from the convention center called San Jose Civic. Uh, yeah, and that's pretty much it. We're playing along with a couple of other great bands and also some bands from Japan. So nice. yeah, there's like international headliners and also local uh, opening acts, and Sweet. we're one of the opening acts, so. Sweet. It's pretty awesome. I mean, San Jose Civic is, I think, seats a thousand plus it's a big venue yeah it's a big venue like yeah that's a looking forward to it should yeah, be fun crush it yeah crush it yeah. i know huge, huge. <laughs> that's coming up on 25th um mm -hmm. also you have another um nyc performance on june 8th yeah june 8th up. that's going to be a solo performance um working with a couple of my nerdcore hip-hop colleagues uh dual core michael kill shaver the dark lord and word burglar so all of these folks are like in the nerdcore hip-hop scene, so to speak. Uh, they work in different kind of fields, uh, like hacker rap. There, there's some, as I mentioned earlier, there's some rappers that rap about like, you know, blockchain and, you know, hacking awesome. and pen testing and stuff like that. Awesome. And there's also like pop culture rap and, you know, wordplay and all of that sort of thing. So that's going to be more like a specific nerdcore performance and that's happening on June 8th. And that's part of like, a security conference that's going on over there that is actually more of a secret so i don't know if i could share it on here okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, no cool. i think it's fine it's called hushcon and it's like an invite only security conference sweet yeah but sweet. it's yeah but it's happening in new york city june 8th okay yeah and then okay this part's also this is this is this is something that every almost every i think artist entrepreneur creator just every person i think goes through this this existential crisis that happens in life and you publish some content about some of the ways that you were feeling about this content is one way to put it <laughs> it was like a blog post right yeah, it was <laughs> yeah i, I like doing that I, I just felt a need to kind of tell my audience why i was silent for a little bit i was busy spending time with family but yes go ahead well, it's just that there's this this te this tendency with the we 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 have a this it's like a hyper reality is what we've created in many ways with the social media where everything is on the best possible way of displaying oneself, and so we're less likely to talk about how we feel depressed or how we feel like a lack of love or that 
uh, what are my needs? You know, I'm, we're, we're really not like talking about that as much as we are trying to say that I traveled somewhere really beautiful or that my life is so fucking awesome. Um, so there's kind of like a shift that I think that is happening a little bit, like an occasional funny selfie like that, like, yeah. that we take and stuff. Like these are really, I think, important um, things to highlight. And so when you, when you um, made that post, I also realized how you know, we also have went through a lot of ups and downs with building this and um, basically every creator goes through their ups and downs yeah. through the past, even through, yeah, exactly. And so um, tell us a bit about your trajectory with that, with the last you know, couple of years and the ups and downs that you've been feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, really the ups and downs have been 2018 and 2019, so the last two years. I uh, experienced a huge amount of growth last year. Um, it was my first time at South by Southwest, and I also went on tour, and I released Raging Ego, which was my first like major release, right? And so I was experiencing a lot of momentum and a lot of speed in my career, and I grew really fast, especially when I went on tour. It was a really great opportunity for me. I made a lot of fans on the road. It was very, very successful. Um, this year has also been equally as much work but the success is showing itself in ways that are maybe not as immediate and maybe not as obvious. And so I've had to kind of grapple with that and understand that just because I'm not experiencing success at, at as fast a pace as I was experiencing it last year doesn't mean that I'm a failure. And it's been difficult because I have done two, I think, well, man, it's gonna be three now, but it's like two like major festival gigs and then like, you know, some gigs in the middle. I've been working on stuff. I released a project earlier this year, but really I'm trying to match the success of last year and it's always a constant feeling of pressure. Like, oh, am I gonna, am I gonna move as fast as I did last year? And I'm gonna, am I gonna be as badass as I was last year? And if I don't, does that mean my career is over? And I think maybe that's why creatives experience that. We're constantly worried about what we're doing um, and whether it's going to succeed and whether any of it is even meaningful at all and whether any of it is changing anyone's mind. And that's an experience that I went through when I took a little bit of a break earlier this month. Throughout an entire month, I visited some family in Korea, uh, spent some time in North Carolina for when my brother graduated. And it was really a time for me to reflect on the course of this project so far, whether it has been meaningful to me and has brought me joy, whether it's brought other people joy, and essentially whether I should continue doing it. <laughs> and I think I'm not gonna quit anytime soon, but it can be discouraging sometimes because you wonder if it's really making any difference in a world that is impacted by such negative forces all the time, uh, by political policies, by climate change, by a lot of suffering that's going on in this world that I'm not sure writing silly songs is really going to change. Um, and I always want to do stuff that has an impact on people. And ultimately, I really want to change the world. Right now, I'm just assessing whether 
this project that I'm doing is achieving that goal or whether it's just something that I'm using to feed my own meaningless simulated existence. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes I think maybe it really is a little bit of both. We have to live in the moment and do the things that we enjoy. And we have to bring immediate joy to others. That's exactly what music is for. It's for people to listen to and for people to enjoy and for people to uh, experience like immediate pleasure in the moment. Um, but whether it has any like long-term effect on like the way our world works is like something that's a little bit more disputable, especially when I write like, you know, kind of just off the cuff like silly songs that don't really have anything to do with, uh, you know, like social justice or whatever. Um, and, you know, I think that's where like the exis existentialist question comes. And is what I'm doing important? I think what you're doing is important. Do you think it's important? Yes, and I think that you are being very hard on yourself. Because <laughs> what, really? Yes, because what you are doing is extremely important. And sometimes here's one of the things that people don't see is that it's hard, it's hard because of hedonic adaptation that we're constantly adapting to the, to the freshest level of where we're at that we, it's really hard for us to objectively look back and say, holy fuck, I am so grateful. I can't believe that I made it through that last year. Look at how many fans came out to my shows. Look at how many of them tell me about the girl power. Look at how many of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so to really objectively reflect back and be like, wow, my work is impactful. And furthermore, I don't even know what it is really happening. The butterfly effect, when people yeah. comment on the videos and say certain things about how we changed some of their perceptions or changed their life, that we don't actually know what they're going and telling their family, their community, what mm. projects they're building, what challenges they're solving. The butterfly effect is so hard to calculate about what work you're how many people you're impacting and what they're actually doing yeah. with what you've taught them. Yeah. And your music isn't just silly. It's also meaningful. Nerd culture is a ton of meaning embedded into it. So I think that you're, uh, you're rightfully existentially saying like, oh, like, could I possibly be um, uh, doing, impacting a billion people within three years with some major project? Like, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we also, you know. You get it. We get, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I'm glad that, you know, that you are, you, you've not, you've given me that, like, that you get that that you do have serious impact at the same time. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's hard. I am my own worst critic all the time, you know? Like, I will always find a reason to belittle myself and think that what I'm doing is not important. But when I look objectively at what I've done, yeah, as you said, I can never properly measure what kind of impact I'm having. I can never even properly measure how many people are actually seeing my stuff. Yeah, I have view counts on YouTube and listen counts on Spotify, but it goes far beyond that. Like, it, some people download it on their phones and listen to it all the time. I can't leg yeah. legitimately count that, and I can't count how much they're spreading it around to their friends or, you know, whether it's maybe saved someone's life. That's I right. don't really know. You know, I don't know how big my reach is. And it always surprises me when I go out on tour and find out that people who I've never even met before have been watching my videos every single day. Yep. 
Yep, every single day, <laughs> yeah. which is crazy. And so then, this is why lineages are very important. So if someone that has been impacted by your music can then write into you and tell you about how what they've achieved after they were impacted by your music. Yeah. So that's why lineages are so are so cru crucial. It's a song that uh, that's what Curse of Creativity is about. It's about passing on that inspiration. I was inspired by someone. I inspire other people. Yep. 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 Um, I want to ask you about this. This is on the way out. I have a couple questions that we like asking, but one of them is that I wonder, we spoke quite a bit about this um, throughout, uh, especially at the very beginning, but that do you, what do you feel as though occurs pre-birth? Do you feel like you came from somewhere into the playground earth with an intention of sorts? Uh-huh. Um, me personally yeah. or everyone? You, you, you personally. Um... I don't know if my destiny was preset at birth. I don't think anyone's is. I think we are all, we have all initially just been a clump of cells uh, without a brain, without electrical impulses. No one knows what actually is consciousness. No one knows what creates consciousness in their brains. And so therefore, no one really knows what that consciousness is telling that kid to do. It just kind of appears at one point while you're developing and then you get born. Um, and so I don't think anyone's future and destiny is predetermined by um, right at birth. But what I do think is that my upbringing and my shared environment with my family and my non-shared environment with my family, experiences that I had in school, experiences that I had by myself on the internet, those have started to shape me from the very beginning to the person I am today. And those have always been pointing me in the direction of I want to be a public figure. And what kind of public figure? I don't know. But my family does have a musical gene. I have several musical cousins. Um, my grandma was very musical. Uh, I have just kind of a musical sense in my family and that was probably genetic. Um, my education in music also helped me decide that music was something that I was good at and that I wanted to do. So eventually I've always, you know, this desire for attention and this, this, this desire, to, desire to impact other people, plus I want to be, do something with music, came together to create this. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then how about, um, do you think we are alone in the cosmos? No. Of course not. It's impossible. Super impossible. Do you think we're alone? I'm asking the questions. <laughs> okay. I think there's so much nuance, but yeah, keep going. What do you think? Um, I mean, it's very possible that we're, we are living in a simulation. I don't know the technicalities of it because I'm not an astrophysicist, uh, but... Neil deGrasse Tyson said that we're living in a simulation, or it's very likely that we are, and we'll never be able to know. And if Neil deGrasse Tyson says it, then it's very possible. <laughs> um, what I do think is that there are a lot of coincidences that have brought all of us into this world, that have made single-celled organisms somehow develop into multi-celled organisms, and somehow created nuclei around um, that holds in their DNA and became multi-celled functional animals with a nervous system and consciousness. 
there's so much coincidence that has happened here. Um, and no one knows really how it works. I'm not religious, and so I don't think that it's because of like divine creation or anything. Um, what I do think is that that process could have happened in so many other places in this universe. And this universe is too big for us to even comprehend. It's gigantic. It, I've seen kind of a video showing us as this like tiny Earth and like expanding out, out out into like the universe. The universe is ridiculously big. Do you did you see that photo of the black hole? Like that is so far away, and that is the size of three billion suns. Do you know how much a billion is? It's a lot. Do you know how big the sun is? It's really big. This universe cannot be measured. There's so many. Uh, there's an infinite amount of places and planets on which what happened to us could have happened. So I don't think we're alone in the universe. I just think we're never going to find out who we're sharing it with. And then you said you thought we were also in a simulation. Yeah, the whole universe could be a simulation. Like this gigantic universe where we're never going to find out where the other living beings are, the other intelligent living beings are could all just be part of a video game. I've had that feeling a lot of times, feeling like I was living in the matrix, there we go, in, in a video game. Yeah, like I was being controlled by someone else, or just ultimate control thing. And obviously that brings us into a question of religion, right? As I said, that I don't believe in God, I'm not religious, but... Well, if there's a God, he yeah. Simulation. He's Who really he's knows, pissed. right? Yeah, like, and like that, uh, you know, did he set all this in motion? Did he, did, did he create us? Did she? Did they? You know? Um, it's really hard to tell. I can't, I, I don't believe in, you know, religious gods specifically, but whether there's something behind the simulation, if we can find out that it's a simulation, I don't think we'll ever know. Unfortunately, I really want to know, but I don't think we can. And the last question, what do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world? Oh, man. <sighs> I think the most beautiful thing in the world is someone who is able to be themselves. 100% authentic. Keeping it real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keeping it real. Keep it real. Yeah, that's a great one. Excellent, excellent one, Lex. Lex, I've loved this conversation. I've had an, I've had such a good time. Me too. I'm so good. glad I did this. Good. I'm so yeah. glad we did this. Yay. Thank yay, you. Yay, yay. We've had loved having you on. This is super fun. This is really fun. Yay. I think it was one of the best interviews I've ever done, actually. <laughs> I was love it. I was I was, you know, I was chill. I was composed and you were asking some great questions. So Good. thank you for the conversation. Very much appreciated. We're really happy you were able to shine so brightly on the program. And thank you. We have the excellent technical direction of Ron Vogus that has you, enabled. You do shine, Lex. Yeah. I think you're a badass. Aww. I think you're very talented. You're very smart. And uh, you just keep on doing what you're doing. Thank you, Ron. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, we need the nerd culture explosion. You're right there. You know, you're right there. So. Yes. 
I love it. Huge shout out to Ron Vagas. Thank you for producing and directing. Huge shout out to all of those that have been watching or listening. We greatly, greatly appreciate you tuning into the episode. We would love for you to check out some of the links below to thelexiconartist.com, also Lex's Bandcamp link, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, YouTube, Twitter. Go check those out. Give the support, give the support, become a patron, you know how to do it. Also, give us your thoughts in the comments below on the future of rap and nerd culture in general. Go and spread that out to your family, your friends, your coworkers, people online on social media. Get talking about the future of nerd culture. We need it to solve the biggest challenges ahead of us. And also support the organizations, the entrepreneurs, the artists around the world that you believe in. Support simulation. Our links are below. Support the local ones in your communities as well. And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. We love you very much. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you soon. Peace.